Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 19th, 2023, we continue our new series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Magnify the Lord, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 55. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Pay attention to the details. Be patient with the hope that God will fulfill his promises. Israel prayed their hearts out for this coming Messiah for for hundreds and hundreds of years. They had waited for a sign. You realize at this particular point in time, they had seen no signs of the coming Messiah for 400 years. But the crowds would gather outside the temple, waiting to make their prayers known. Nothing has changed today except we're not praying to see the Messiah. We're praying for the Messiah to come back and to claim his own. Our circumstances never, will never thwart the plans of God. They will never refute his goodness. God remains good regardless of life's circumstances because God is using that moment to draw you unto himself that you would put your trust, your hope, and everything in the person of Jesus Christ, and that you would reveal the glory of his word and the glory of Christ himself. It is so good to be with you this morning. We are in Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 56. We are covering a whopping 30 verses, so I'd invite you to turn there. Just by a raise of hand, anyone get out to the Super Bowl or Phoenix Open festivities this last week? The rest of you were the wise people who uh, avoided all of the crazy. Um, I had great seats for both of those events from my couch, and it was incredible. No lines, no weights, and everything was infinitely cheaper uh, than both of those places. But it was fun to watch. I love watching golf, like playing golf, like watching football. But uh, in any any sporting event you watch, there's normally this moment where you start wondering why so-and-so made such a choice and how, you know, if you were on the field, you would have done it way differently. Or if you were the coach, you would have called a better play. Or if you were a GM, you would have picked a better team, right? Uh, Maybe as a kid, you remember playing on a team and you were always asking questions about that one kid, like, how, how are they here. How did they get on this team? Great kid, great guy, great girl, wonderful person, terrible athlete. Their dad probably bought the jerseys. That's how they got on this team. Uh, And maybe you could rewind even behind that. You go to a playground kickball, recess kickball, recess football. Everyone stands. This is how the great task of picking teams are, right? You flip a coin, who gets first pick, and then you pick your own team. And typically, you pick the best, the fastest, the strongest, the ones with a proven track record. Those are the people who get selected for your team. But occasionally... Someone would make a pick that in your mind you knew this just does not make any sense. This is not the person that I would pick if I was building the dream team. What's interesting is when we look through the scriptures, God picks people to be on his team that we would never pick. Never. Rewind. God picks Abraham. Who's Abraham? He's nothing. 
He comes from a family of, of pagan worshipers, like he's nothing worthy of being picked for God's team. Let's look at Moses. Moses, uh, he killed the guy back when he was growing up in Egypt, probably not the guy that I would pick for my team. To be the mouthpiece of uh, God, he had a speech impediment. He even told God, like, listen, I don't talk good. Like, I don't want to be the guy who's talking for you. And God's like, no, you're my guy. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus picks a team, and who does he pick? Just normal dudes. Normal dudes, tax collectors, fishermen, ordinary people, ordinary means nothing great going on about them. Jesus dies, raises again, uh, goes to heaven. He appears, picks another team member. He picks the apostle Paul, a guy who used to murder Christians and persecute Christians. That's the guy Jesus picks for his team. All throughout scriptures, we see God building a team full of humble, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And today, in Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 56, we see the same thing. God chooses to work through a 12 or 14-year-old virgin girl that we know as Mary. As I said, Luke chapter one, 26 through 56, let me give you the big idea right away. God uses humble, ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plan, and we should praise him when we're used for his purposes. That's how this works. God uses humble, ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plan, and we ought to respond in praise when we're used for his purposes. That's what we're gonna see throughout this whole text. Before we dive in, let me pray once more. Just go to the Lord, ask for his help uh, as we study. Uh, and then we'll hop in. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we have done nothing worthy to be picked for your team. We've done nothing exemplary where we should look at our own life and say that you are lucky to have us. God, today, we are just grateful for you. We're grateful for your son. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your grace. God, we pray today that through the power of your spirit, you'd open our eyes, that we would see you more clearly. You'd open our eyes to hear you speak in your still small voice in the quiet of our heart. God, you'd open our mind that we'd know you in new ways. You'd open our heart to love you and respond in a way that trusts and hopes in you for salvation. God, also open our mouths that we would speak of how great you are, that we would magnify the Lord in everything we say and do. God, that's our goal this morning is your glory, your praise and honor alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 56. God uses humble, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And when God decides to use us, we ought to respond in praise. Let's start with verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, sixth month, don't think June. In the month of June, angel went to Nazareth. No, it's not like that. This is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We saw last week the angel Gabriel show up to Zechariah and said, Behold, your wife is going to be with child. And he's like, Whoa, she's been barren all these years. How's that going to happen? Uh, and God does a miracle in them. He gets uh, pretty specific on where he's going. God sends Gabriel to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this is Luke's attempt to drop a pin on a map. Like if we were going to send someone an address, pull up Google Maps, Apple Maps, whatever you use, a drop a pin. This is Luke's way of dropping a pin to show people where this entire story is taking place. And what we realize that this place is really not much of a place at all. Really not much of a place at all. We had a lot of people visiting Phoenix last week from out of town for the Phoenix Open and for the Super Bowl. And if you were gonna explain to them some different cities around the city of Phoenix, you might say, um, I live in a city of Phoenix called Carefree. And so, okay, like that's, that's 
kind of north, and they'd get an idea, okay, that's, but, but even the city of Phoenix is a pretty big metropolitan area, so Phoenix is kind of a place. It'd be more accurate um, as an illustration to say that he was sent to a, a, a city of Gila Bend called Y, Arizona. Anyone heard of Y, Arizona before? Probably not. It's not much of a place. Nothing wrong with it. There's just, it's just not much of a place. Nazareth was that kind of place. Nazareth was not much of a place. There wasn't like big important things going on. There, nothing special was really happening. So much so that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus came from Nazareth, they said, nothing good comes from Nazareth. This is, this is Mary. Mary is from not much of a place. He goes on and describes her. He says, he showed up to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What we see, Mary, not much of a place, uh, is really also not much of a person. I don't mean that to belittle her. She's just a normal, ordinary, humble Mary. That's who she was. The text refers to her as a virgin. She's probably 12 to 14 years old. Um, No popularity, no power, no prestige, just a young girl living in her parents' home who's betrothed to this guy named Joseph. Now think of betrothed as super engaged. Okay, we get engaged nowadays, and it's like you you exchange a ring. um, One-sided, guys never get a ring, whatever. Um, We give a a ring to the girl. uh, and, And that's like our, we've spoken our intention. We plan to get married. Now, betrothed was like we plan to and have a legally binding agreement that someday we will be married. So it's not just be like engaged, it's like super engaged by law. They are marching towards getting married. And like I said, she's really nothing special. She wouldn't have owned like a business. She would have, wouldn't have owned property. She was not much of a person. Yet this is who God chooses for the team. This is who God chooses to do a remarkable thing in giving the world his son, Jesus. So as I said, the first thing, the first big thing we see in the text this morning is that God uses humble, ordinary people. God uses humble, ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plan. Also, I realized that space for plan, I forgot to put extraordinary in your notes, so if you're writing things down, just write small. You can fit it in, I believe in you. This angel shows up and says, you have found favor with God. Don't think of this as men. This is, God has looked down and seen the way this sweet little girl has lived her life, and that is her favorite person based on the way she lived. She's the favorite based on everything she's done with her. She hasn't done much in life. She's 12, 14 years old. She owns no property. She's not married, doesn't have a lot of things going on. But God finds favor. The word grace is built into this word favor. God graciously looks upon her and chooses to use her, her humble, ordinary estate, to accomplish his extraordinary plan. Now, what's his plan? Uh, We get into the plan beginning in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's a lot of things. It's a very specific thing, actually. If you were to rewind to the book of 2 Samuel, you'd see this thing called the Davidic Covenant. 
God worked with his people, the Israelites, through covenants. He would come and cut covenants, make promises of what he was going to do with his people and how he wanted them to act accordingly as they were doing these things. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, you see like the Noahic covenant, a covenant made with David, with uh, Noah. You see the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that God made with Abraham. You also see the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant was a promise God made to Abraham of somewhere way down his line, he would have offspring who would have a a reign that lasted forever. He would rule over the house of Jacob, that he wouldn't just do great things, but that this son truly would be great. Now that's found in 2 Samuel chapter seven, and the same phrases you see there are used here in Luke chapter one. Components of that covenant is that this son would be the son of the most high, that he would have the throne of his father David, that he would have a reign over the house of Jacob forever, that of his kingdom there would be no end. Now this is the plan that the angel Gabriel, through God, reveals to Mary. Now if, if I was pregnant, my wife was pregnant with our first kid, and someone came to me and said, man, here's the deal. Your child is going to be son of the most high. They're going to have a kingdom that reigns forever, a rule that has no end. Your child is the child who's been spoken about for centuries, the promised one, the Messiah, Emmanuel. I would probably say, you need to chill out. You're stressing me out right now. Why don't you just tell me, I bet you it's going to be cute. I'd like that. Your kid's going to be so cute. I bet bet they're going to be an athlete. So sweet. They're going to be smart like their mom. I bet they're going to be good singers like you. I'd love to hear that. I can handle that. Son of the Most High, kingdom forever, reign that has no end. Hey, by the way, on top of that, I'm a virgin girl. We're betrothed to getting married. All of a sudden, you're telling me this new thing's going to happen. That's going to bring so much shame upon my family. How is this whole thing going to work? That's the question she asks, actually, in verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Don't take this as her being doubtful or doubting God's plan of saying, you know, I don't know, this is her way of essentially saying, okay, how? How will this be? I've never known a man. A man has never known me. How is this going to happen? The angel lets her know, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God. It's important to note, nowhere in there, in here, is sex implied. Zero. This is an act of God. It's nothing physical or sexual. It's miraculous. It's completely spiritual, the way this whole thing happens. We talk a lot uh, in the church about the virgin birth. You've probably heard about the virgin birth of Jesus and why that's essential and important to us as Christians. Let me take a couple minutes and talk about why the virgin birth is important and how the virgin birth is talked about right here. The virgin birth is this. Jesus was born 100% man, because of Mary, and he was born 100% God because he didn't have a physical earthly father. He had a heavenly father, thus making him both 100% man, 100% God. Not this 50-50 half and half, but humanity, 100%, deity, 100%. It's because of his deity being 100% God that Jesus was born without sin. You and I are not born that way. 
You and I are born with sin, not just with sin nature, but there's a desire to sin, but we go on over the course of our life sinning. It's not so with Jesus. Jesus was born without a sin nature, and throughout his life, he went on without sin. That's important to us because we need someone to be perfect. We need someone to be without blemish. We need someone without spot to be the sacrifice for our sins. If you go through the Old Testament and read through the sacrificial system, you saw time after time after time again, God explaining to his people, you need to sacrifice a lamb without blemish. Uh, A goat, a ram, a bird, 100% perfect, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. This person needs to be Perfect, that's the sacrifice that we needed. We need a perfect sacrifice. In John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist, he's um, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the one that we heard about just the chapter before. Uh, John one twenty nine. John the Baptist is speaking and he sees Jesus as he's out walking and he totally shifts attention and he says, behold, in other words, people who are looking at me, behold, look at Jesus, behold. And he calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. He was to be the perfect sacrifice that we needed. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says it like this. For our sake, he made him, this is God the Father, he made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We refer to this as the great exchange oftentimes in the church. And here's the exchange that's been made. You have Jesus, perfect, sinless, righteous, spotless, without blemish, absolutely perfect righteousness. And you have us, unrighteous, sinners, blemished, wrinkled, torn, tattered, imperfect people, He made him who was righteous to become sin, to become righteous, so that us, the unrighteous, the sinful, could take on the righteousness of Christ. That's why this virgin birth is so important to us. It's through Jesus, through this birth, that we had a perfect sacrifice come into the world. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, they're cousins, by the way, if you're wondering what the relation is there, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month in which her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. The angel gives Mary a sign and says, hey, God's doing something remarkable here, not just in your life, but also in the life of a relative. Maybe you're questioning how this whole thing can happen. How can a virgin give birth? Well, if you're questioning, Mary, let me give you a sign. Your cousin, Elizabeth, who's barren, is also with child. And then he drops this on her, for nothing is impossible with God. Part of me thinks this is God's way of saying, watch this. Watch. Watch. Watch me move, watch what I can do with this situation. Watch what I can do with your humble, ordinary life. Watch me. Verse 28, and Mary said, I love this response, it is absolutely remarkable. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a great response. Uh, I have the privilege of doing lots of pre-marriage counseling with a lot of young couples that come through the church. Uh, and one thing I've, I've quickly learned about um, engaged women is that they've got some really big plans for their life, 
right? The way that things are supposed to be, the way their wedding is going to turn out, um, the way the family is going to get along perfectly, um, the timeline at which they both land their dream jobs so they can buy their first home um, at a perfect interest rate that they can someday sell for their nest egg retirement. They're going to have X amount of kids this many years apart. They're going to be this old. This is what they're going to be like. They got all sorts of plans. Mary's probably got plans too. Young girl betrothed to Joseph probably has an idea of what they'd like life to look like. You know, we're going to get married and then we're going to move in with his family and he's got this carpentry business. We're going to get some other guys he's going to start pouring into. We're going to build this carpentry business. Someday we're going to get a house in the hills looking over the Sea of Galilee. Like it's going to be an incredible life that we're going to live. Then an angel shows up and says, hey, we're doing something new. The son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Son of the most high. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. It's going to be your child. Well, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. God's going to do it. How do you respond? Right? It's just a, a shocking, hard left turn from what the plan was supposed to be. Let's look at her response. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. It sounds a lot like Jesus. Luke 22, Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's about to take on the wrath, all of the sins, all of the unrighteousness of the world. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, let's let this cup pass from me. But what's he pray? Not my will. Your will be done. Let it be according to your word. Let it be, I am a servant of the Lord. What a remarkable response. We have not much of a person from not much of a place. God's chosen to make much of her life as she seeks to make much of him. Beautiful response. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose. By the way, at some point between 38 and 39, Mary's pregnant. Bible doesn't tell us when, how, where, any of it says the Holy Spirit, that God the Father, there's a miraculous thing that happened, but we don't get the deets between those verses. It's just, she's pregnant. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist. He leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, by the way, in chapter 1, verse 15, chapter one, verse 15 um, the angel spoke to Elizabeth that even John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. So even this, this miracle upon miracle upon miracle happening in this whole story. Greeting Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here's a question. At what point did Jesus become the Lord? The answer is always. Okay, we've got embryonic lordship, embryonic G Jesus here. And Elizabeth even says, how blessed am I to be with the mother of my Lord. Perhaps it's the Holy Spirit revealing that to her in that moment. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her 
from the Lord. One thing I want to focus in on real quick here. You know, oftentimes people make way too much of Mary. Worship her, pray to her. We make way too much of Mary. Um, But I confess to you that I could be rightly accused of making far too little of her. Far too little of her. This is a young woman that God chose. Not much of a person, not much of a place. And God said, we're doing something amazing in your life. And she expressed remarkable faith. Let it be to me according to thy word. I am a servant of the Lord. Truly remarkable. In the history of salvation, man, Jesus' birth coming through one woman, that is a special, special thing. We should honor her for that, not worship her. We worship God. We worship God. We don't worship her, but we honor her. On top of that, man, look at the role that she has fulfilled. It's, It's the only role that any woman in the history of mankind has been able to fulfill, mother of Jesus. You birthed Jesus, the son of God. She had the honor to nurse Jesus, the son of God. To snuggle him when he was upset, to comfort him after he got hurt, to teach him, to train him, to watch him grow. Such a unique role in the history of the church, and we should honor her for it. We don't worship her for it, but we recognize she is blessed. She is worthy of that honor. I love how in verse 46, as we move on, it's almost like she deflects. See, Elizabeth wants to talk about Mary. You are so blessed, and this is amazing. I get to stand in the presence of the mother of my Lord. Like, how cool is this? And Mary responds immediately, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about how I'm blessed. I want to talk about any of that. I want to talk about the Lord. I want to magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get this term, the Magnificat. You've probably heard this song of praise um, talked about in that way. In Latin, that's the word, Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. Let's read through this and look for attitudes, attributes of who Christ is, but also actions, what God has done in her life. That's where she goes as she magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped to serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. Mary completely has the opportunity to hear, yeah, do you know what? Let's talk about how blessed I am. Let's talk about how God has favored me based upon the things I've done with my life. No, not at all. She chooses to magnify the Lord. This too should be our response. In the text, we've seen that God uses humble, ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plans. Like Mary, we should respond in praise when we're used for his purposes. We choose to magnify him. We choose to glorify him. Let me give us three, three things, three quick encouragements that I, help, I think will help us get to that same spot. The first thing is this. We need to humble ourselves. 
We need to humble ourselves. Look, much like Mary saw her play herself as not much of a person from not much of a place, and I don't mean to belittle her in that, but she knew it. She even said, he has looked on me in my humble estate. She knows who she is and where she's from. Not much of a person, not much of a place. Not a single ounce of her being has this attitude of God is sure lucky to have me on that team. She's just humble. So too, we ought to humble ourselves. First Peter 5, verse 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Literally, get dressed in humility. Get dressed in humility. What's humility? C.S. Lewis said it like this. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Now, when I say we're not much of a, each and every one of us, not much of a person, not much of a place, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to belittle your accomplishments or the things that God has done in your life. I'm not asking you to think less of yourself. You are a child of God created in the image of God. God sent his son to die for you. You have worth, you have value. You're not a doormat and you're not a punching bag. But each of us should humble ourselves. Realize who we are, that each and every one of us, while we have a place on the team, we are uh, graciously blessed. We've been graciously favored to have a place on that team, to have a place in that family. You and I have done nothing special to earn God's favor. It's grace, and it's grace alone. We need to humble ourselves. Second thing that I think will help us get to that place, we need to honestly ask the question, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use my life? Each of us has this tendency to like make up our plans and make up our mind and then ask the Lord to bless them as an afterthought. Right, here's what I want to do with my life. God, would you bless my plan? Here's what I want to do with my life. God, would you bless this plan? Rather than humbly submitting to his will and saying, Lord, what would you have for me? What would you have for me and my family as a father? What's your plan for me? What do you want for me? As a mother, what do you want for me? And we got a bunch of students who love and follow Jesus who live in homes with families who don't. That's a hard spot. But I think God wants to use you in it. God, how can you use me in my home? Maybe it's a new workplace. God, I got a new job. How, how can you, how do you want to use me in this? It's a new school, it's a new sports team, a new retirement a new gym membership, a new country club, a new whatever. God, how do you want to use me in this? We submit ourselves in humility and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do in my life in this? And then with great humility and expectation, we listen. We listen. We listen to God to speak to us through his word. We listen to God to speak to us through that, that still, small voice in the quietness of our own heart. We listen. God, how do you want to use me? And then when he uses us, we respond in obedience. Let it be. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I encourage you in your quiet times this week, in your car rides or whatever it is, ask the Lord that question daily. How do you want to use me? And then look for those opportunities. Third thing, uh, we can ask the question, how can I magnify the Lord? 
How can I, in my life, magnify the Lord? As a parent, what does it look like for me to magnify the Lord? In my business, how can I magnify the Lord? My neighborhood, my sports team, my whatever, you fill in the blank. When I go to the gym for an hour, how can I magnify the Lord through this time? I love that this is what Mary does. She takes an opportunity to just magnify the Lord. Magnify means to like to blow up, to see clearly, to make larger. Um, you've probably used one of these at some point or another in the time of your life. It's a magnifying glass. As a kid, you use them, I think, expressly to burn things. Right? You hold them perfectly on the sun and you can light boxes of tissue paper on fire while your parents are on date night. Sorry, mom and dad. But that's what you use them for. Uh, or you use them in class to, to blow things up, to see them more clearly, to see the incredible detail that really is there. As you get older, some of you look like this walking around because you've got like these megascopes on your face just because eyes fail and, and you need some help or whatever. But the purpose of it remains the same. It's to see something more clearly, to direct focus, to direct attention, to enlarge something so we can truly understand What's there? That's what God has called us to do, to magnify the Lord. One, in our own life, to see him for who he really is, to put in the work of getting in the word and studying God's word. And, and, and we come to church and we worship him, we magnify him for who he is. And, and through magnifying him and singing songs of praise, it's like our, we're rightly aligned and seeing who he is and, and what he has done. You can see how Mary magnifies the Lord. She wants people to see, she wants Elizabeth to see, here's who God is, here's his attitudes, here's what he's done, here's his actions. She talks about God being merciful Elizabeth, I know you want to talk about me and how blessed I am, but I want to talk about God. He's merciful. He is a provider. He's exalted the lowly. This is what God calls us to do. And we start asking the question, well, how? How do we magnify the Lord in just the everyday, ordinary space of our life? Well, Mary did it right here. It's a great example. Just turn the magnifying glass on the Lord and talk about him, help people see who he is and what he has done. Let me give you an example. Um, Most of the time I get this wrong. I don't want to take this as if it's a magnification of self. It's magnification of Christ and Christ alone. Uh, A couple weeks ago, playing golf, uh, and inevitably the conversation when a couple guys are golfing who never met, uh, this question comes up. You know the question, right? because we find all of our worth and value in what we do for a job as men, uh, which we shouldn't. That's a different message. We should find it in Christ. Um, So the question comes up on like hole 17 or whatever, and the guy asks, you know, so what do you do for work? Now, this guy, I forget what he said. He like, he invented air or something crazy, right? (laughs) Like it was this remarkable thing. Like I thought God did, but wow, you're something special, right? That's what he did. Um, But he asks me, like, you know, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a pastor. The first thing he said is, I'm sorry. For everything I've said over the course of this round. Okay, like it's, it became confession all of a sudden. I was like, no, I, I ain't stressed about it, man. Don't worry about it. And then he tried to recover and he said, you know, but you know, the world could use some more religion these days. Ugh. Right? And maybe in your head and in your heart, you, you feel something similar. And this is where we took it. I said, you know, I don't, I don't think so. You know, when I look at Jesus, when I look at who he is and what he did in the gospels, you know the people he didn't get along with the most? 
This is the religious people. The people who thought they were better than, the people who prayed loudly on the street corner so people would really think there's something, those are the people that Jesus had a really hard time with. I don't think Jesus wants more religion. I think Jesus wants our heart. I think that's what we need. And this guy was just, oh, okay. And then we just kept playing golf. <laughs> there was... But it was an opportunity. An opportunity to magnify the Lord, to take this off of self uh, and to show him, hey, I think you're wrong on this. Can I show you who Jesus really is? This is what God does. He uses humble, ordinary people like me and like you who are willing to humble themselves and realize, man, I'm not much. Not all that in a bag of chips, as the saying used to go. Not much of a person, not much of a place. Don't have a whole lot to offer him, but man, I am grateful to be used by Jesus. I'm grateful to be used by the Lord. We humble ourselves. We ask God for opportunities to serve him, to be used by him. And when we see those opportunities and have those opportunities, we take them to magnify the Lord. We magnify Christ. We magnify Christ alone. Amen? Let me... um, take an opportunity, because for some of you, I just, I'd love to help you see Jesus a bit more clearly. Uh, I'm not sure where you're at uh, in your faith. Maybe you you feel far from Jesus this morning. You feel far from God. Let me encourage you. God is not far from you. Maybe this morning you're thinking to yourself, man, if God knew all the things that I've done, if God knew knew all the things that have been done to me, he'd want nothing to do with me. Friends, let me tell you, he sees all of it. He knows what you've done. He knows what's been done to you. He wants you. He likes you. He loves you. He has an amazing plan for your life, and he wants to use you. This is what he's done over the course of the entire scriptures. He picks people for the team that you and I would never pick. He wants you. He wants relationship with you, but we've got this thing called sin. That's why God sent his son, 100% God, 100% man, to be perfect so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, maybe this morning you're thinking, well, that ain't me. I'm not a sinner. Well, let's talk about sin. What is sin? Sin is this. God says, don't do this. And we say, I kind of like it though, so we do it. God says, don't do this, actually do this. And then we say, eh, I don't want to do that though. If we look at our own life, we'll see each of us has sin in our own life and, and sin had to be removed. It's not something that we could do alone. Maybe you're thinking this morning, all I got to do is, is like climb my way to the Lord. I have to work harder, do better, give more, be nicer, work my way up to him. And that's like the story every world religion will paint you is that man has to work their way up to God. The story of the gospel is different. God Almighty came down to the unmighty. The king of the world came to us. He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live, even if we tried, which if we're honest, we don't. He came and lived a perfect life that we could never live, making him a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Then he willingly took a cross, humbled himself to take our sin on him. He was crucified and he died, but he didn't stay dead. The scriptures say he rose again, defeating death. 
that you and I, when we place our faith, our hope, our trust in Christ, then we can truly find life. Friends, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, much like Elizabeth did here, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Well, I don't know if I can. Yes, you can. There's too much sin. No, there's not. He doesn't want me. Yes, he does. Not sure where you're at this morning. Maybe you're, uh, you've never walked with the Lord before and, and that's something you'd like to begin this morning. Maybe you feel God like pulling on your heart and stirring your heart. Uh, let, let me help you respond to that. I'm gonna pray uh, in a second and this is just one of those example prayer type things. If you feel like the Lord um, drawing you to himself uh, into a relationship with Christ, would you pray along with me uh, just in the quietness of your own heart and then I'll close us in prayer. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I realize today that I have sin in my life. God, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't take away the sins of the world, but you sent your son to do it. So God, this morning I place my faith, I place my hope, I place my trust in Christ and in Christ alone. God, thank you for calling me into a relationship with you. Thank you for picking me to be on a team that I know I don't deserve to be on. Would I find ways in my life to humbly serve you, to be used for your purpose? And God, when that happens, would I respond in praise? I magnify the Lord with my life. Amen. Amen, if that's you this morning, uh, if you want to walk with Jesus, maybe you want to walk with Jesus for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to the Lord after a season, we would love to connect with you uh, and help you follow Jesus, help you take whatever next step that might look like for you. Uh, out at Info Central, we have some resources for you. They're just guides. We also have some people back there that would love to talk with you um, and guide you deeper into that relationship with Christ. Um, let's respond in a time of worship. Let's respond in a time where uh, instead of turning the magnifying glass on, on any one person in this room or on anything, let's turn it upon the Lord and magnify the Lord for who he is and what he's done in our life. Amen. Stand and join us as we sing. Amen. Hey, our prayer team is going to be down front. They would love to minister to you and pray with you and for you this morning. If you've got things going on in your life, I'd invite you to come right down after the service. They'd love to care for you um, and pray with you. In addition to that, if you have decided to follow Jesus this morning, these people will be a great resource to you. They want to love you, care for you, pray with you, uh, and get you set up on this newfound faith, this new uh, walk you have in following Jesus. God uses humble ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plan. That's you and that's me. Would we respond in praise when we're used for his purposes? So this week, may we humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Don't think less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less. Think of the people God has placed in your life. Think of who he is, what he's done, what he wants to do through you. Would we humble ourselves? Secondly, would we, with humility and the intention of obedience, ask the question, God, how can you use me this week? And as we see those opportunities where we magnify the Lord, magnify Christ this, this week, friends, magnify the Lord, who he is and what he's done. Love each other.
We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.